Folks, you've heard me say before, we don't like hard things. I think we've spent... Uh, America's been blessed. I mean, we really have, if you consider everything that we have. And we have... Uh, it's kind of the American dream to, to get comfortable, right? I mean, isn't that what we do? You go to school, you get your degree... Or you get a job and you become a, a professional of some kind, and maybe not so professional, but you still get a job. And uh, you try to afford a car that won't break down on you every week. You got to get comfortable with that. You try to be able to get an apartment or a house that you're halfway comfortable in. We try to be able to afford the air conditioning out here in Arizona during the, the summertime. We try to buy a comfortable couch. You know, the one that's got the arm just high enough for your neck when you, you lay down to take a nap. So we, if we can, we try to get ourselves a love seat or some kind of recliner. And ladies, you probably don't get to use that much because your husband's in that one a lot. But, you know, we try to make ourselves comfortable. That's the American dream. And I think sometimes we get so comfortable, we don't like that changed. We don't like that messed up. We kind of enjoy our comforts. And I'm pretty sure that you guys probably have a routine after church today. It'll either be go out to lunch or go home and make some lunch or have family over, but you probably have a, a certain routine. But you know, the, the one of the reasons why I love the Bible and I love the Word of God is it's so honest. If, if a king messes up, it calls them out. If someone does something that they're not supposed to do, even King David, you know, a man after God's own heart, he still had sin in his life. He had an affair and he killed the, the Bathsheba's husband in order to hide that and conceal that. So it tells the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes it's, uh, it's stuff that people don't want to hear. And that's why Christians have such a hard time witnessing because the things that you need to say to people are the things they don't want to hear. And that the, there is a God and you're not him. And uh, there is such a thing as sin. And missing the mark of what God's plan is. And we need to repent of that and turn from it. Because the kingdom of heaven awaits us. And if you've been in church any time in the last few years, or at any time, hopefully you heard the message of salvation. At the end, the pastor gave you a, an opportunity to give your heart to Jesus Christ. We need that, and we need to be preaching that. People say, well, it's the same old thing. Yes, it is. How many times did your mom and dad tell you to clean your room before it ever stuck? Some of the wives are going, it never stuck with my husband. You know, we need to hear those things. John Corson talks about a few things, and, and I think some of them are pretty good. He says, Noah didn't stand at the steps of the ark and say, something good is about to happen to all of you today. What did he do? He called out, repent, change, do what you need to do, because this ship's moving, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to move without you if it doesn't change. And that's the reality of Christianity. Sometimes we try so hard to soften it up, to make it palatable for a lost generation. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't change. I'm not saying that we shouldn't adapt to a certain degree, but not on the most important things. And that is that people are dying 
in their sins and are going to miss an opportunity to live with Jesus Christ for an eternity. That should break our heart. That should be something that burns in our heart all the time. That neighbor of ours, that friend of ours, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, somebody that we love might be missing the opportunity to give their heart to Jesus Christ. And sometimes we're so afraid that we will offend them, we don't tell them. But you know what? It's a much greater offense to not tell them. They may not like it. Like I said, we don't like hard things. Jeremiah was not cast into the dungeon because he was talking about the power of possibility thinking. You know, today it's all about woke, whatever woke means. It used to have a different meaning. I woke up this morning. But now it's a completely different thing. And I want to challenge you on that. If that's part of your life and your lifestyle, I want to challenge you on it. And that is do a lot, a lot, a lot of research. So many times we speak about something that we know nothing of. We just see a circumstance. How many times have we judged somebody by the way they look or the way they speak or the way they dress? And then you find out it's completely, completely different. You guys have heard the stories about the millionaire goes into a, um, a car dealership, and it's a Maserati dealership, right? He's just dressed normal, and they, they won't sell him a car. They just walk past him the whole time, and he finally gets one guy that comes up to him, treats him like a human being, and he buys the car from that young man. We make those kind of judgments about lots and lots of things, about things we don't really know the full depth of it. And many of us get our news from social media, right? And so therefore, you know, if it's on the internet, it's got to be true, right? Not necessarily. I mean, I think we've all seen that there are things, I just saw, I'm sorry, I'm kind of getting a little off track, but I got to share this with you. I just saw a thing where a guy gets up and he, he says, I'm going to say some things and, uh, and then I'm going to turn on, you know, where it translates what they said into words down at the bottom so you can see the script. And he says a few things, and then he says, unvaccinated. I am unvaccinated. I am unvaccinated. I am unvaccinated. When he turned that on and it came back, it said down at the bottom, I am vaccinated. I am vaccinated. I am vaccinated. Okay, now if you don't believe me, look it up and check it out. What I'm saying is, we can't believe everything we hear. We can't even believe everything that we see. But one thing you can count on, and that's this. You can count on this. You can count on the Lord being the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the one thing you can count on. And as you, guys, as you guys have heard us say over and over again over the last month or two months, three months, six months, our safety is in Jesus Christ. Our safety is in the word of God. The lack of worry is in Jesus Christ that gives us that hope that says, no matter what happens, I'm with Jesus. I, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Nothing else really matters. If God tells us to do something, we do it. If he tells us not to do something, we don't do it. But laying awake or worrying about it all the time just doesn't solve the problem. But we have a world that we still need to be a light in. In fact, maybe more so now than we have ever been. 
John the Baptist, this is again John Corson. John the Baptist wasn't beheaded for having a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker on the back of his car. (laughs) What was his message? Repent, repent, repent. Now, in case you're wondering what that means, that just means to get up and turn around and go 180 degrees in the opposite direction. We all need to repent. There's things in our life that we do that later you go, boy, that was really stupid. I'm not sure that I, you know, I shouldn't have done that. And it's great therapy because we get to go to the best therapist in the world and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And he goes, I know you are. In more ways than one. No, I'm just kidding. He says, I know you are and I forgive you for those things. So, we're going to hear things sometimes that are hard for us to hear. But the decision that we make the decision we make with those hard things, change, it changes us, whatever we do with them. In other words, we can sit, you guys remember, and I've said this before, you guys remember school, right? Hasn't been that long ago. You remember school? And you remember the ones that you put yourself into, how much you got out of them? And the ones you could have cared less about? Don't you wish now you would spend a little bit more time on how to speak English properly? Or the human language? Don't you wish you'd spend a little bit more time on history, on government, geography? Anybody ask you, where's this country? You go, I don't know. Is it over by Peoria? Yeah, you know. <laughs> You've seen these on-the-street interviews. I'll ask somebody a, a, a real simple question, and they can't, even, they can't even process that. They don't understand how to process that. So, all right, let's, uh, let's begin here. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you give us your heart. Open our hearts to be willing, to be willing. Sometimes we get so set in our ways, we're not willing to hear anything else, Lord, and I think that's a mistake. I think we can learn from each other. We can learn from people who have differing opinions than us. If we silence those opinions, we learn nothing. So, Father, I pray that at least this morning we would listen to your opinion. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the Apostle Paul, we have uh, seen him kind of passed around, if you will, between the local and the regional politicians, and he's been passed around for a crime he didn't commit. Sometimes it doesn't matter if you're innocent, if the... uh, Odds are stacked against you, and we even see that in the Word of God. You may remember he was accused of treason or crimes against the state for allowing Trophimus, who was a a Greek, um, into the Jewish inner court. But none of the things were true. None of them were true. They were just trying to, they didn't like him. He was a threat. He was saying things that nobody wanted to hear. We can get so comfortable in our lifestyle, we don't want anybody to tell us that what we're doing may be wrong. We want to continue on in that lifestyle. Okay, the Sanhedrin, Felix, Festus, even Agrippa have questioned Paul. And that's kind of where we pick up our story this morning. Look at verse 1, chapter 26, verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. Now, I want us all to pay close attention with what Paul is about to say. 
It's what would you do if you were allowed to speak? You had already been through all of these powers and authorities. You knew your life hung in the balance. What would be your first thing to say? I'm innocent. That's not what Paul does. That's not what he does because there's something burning inside of him that's more important than whether he lives or dies. He's already told us that. He's already told us he doesn't count his life to be that important, but he considers the gospel to be important. So here he goes. He says in verse two and three, he says, I think myself happy. I, don't, I can't do that. Can you, can you think yourself happy? I can't. But that's not quite what he means. He means I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm not bummed out that I'm here. He says, I think I'm, this is a great opportunity. That's what he's saying. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today... I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially for because you are an expert in all the customs which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. Okay, he sets that all up. Why is he happy about Agrippa? Because Agrippa is half Jew and half Edomite. And Paul knew that he had done at least an intellectual study of Judaism. So he would at least understand what Paul was about to say. Have you ever seen people, um, if, if you're going to, it's just a good, I'm backing up, it's just a good idea when you walk into any room to survey the audience, to survey the group, to understand the group that you're going to be talking to to understand what's necessary. If you walk into a room and it's all sixth graders, you don't teach them on a college level. They're not, they're not quite ready for that. You walk into a room where it's nothing but, you know, buttoned up, shirt and tie, business suits, into a board meeting, that's a different approach. Paul knew how to read the room. A lot of people don't know how to read the room today. They're so, they're so self-contained that they don't see anything around them. They don't see anything that's going on. Paul is a pro at this. He knows he will be understood at least. Maybe not agreed with, but he knows he will at least be understood. Look at verse four. He says, my manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all Jews know about this. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand and I am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes earnestly served God day and night, and they hoped to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Remember, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and they did not believe in Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying, guys, look at my history. Look at the way I was raised. All I'm doing and all that's happened is a fulfillment of, of everything that our people have prayed for all of their lives. That's, that's it. That's what I'm trying to tell you. He says, you guys, 
have been looking for the Messiah and I found him. We've been waiting for the Messiah all these years and I found who the Messiah is. So I'm not going against anything. I'm just showing you the full picture of what's going on. You guys have heard me say this before and that is there seems to be something that happens in us as human beings. We will do something or start something and not really look at what the end means. In other words, ask the question, why am I doing this? What do I hope to accomplish by this? Facebook, for example. Twitter, for example. Any of the other ones. What's my end goal? Why am I doing this? Am I doing this so people can see how amazing my food is? You take pictures of it and they can show them how my food is. Am I I doing this so I can show them my vacation spots? Am I doing this to show them how much I work out? Am I doing this? In other words, a lot of times we don't think of the end result. Why am I doing this? And that gets us into a lot of trouble. We buy cars we can't afford because we don't look at the end of this. We marry people we shouldn't marry because we don't look, we just, we completely blot out all the red flags that we see, hoping that someday it's all going to be different down here. We don't look at the end of things. We don't think things through. That's what Paul's saying. I've, I've found him. It's a fulfillment, and I'm being judged for that. We all have hope for the Messiah, and I'm being judged for that. The Messiah has risen from the dead. Let's go on. He also says, I persecuted Christians to the point of death. I would chase them down like dogs and hunt them down and bring them in and have them prosecuted. But it was from an uninformed perspective. Let me, let me ask you this honestly. A little current events. Do we really know what's going on with this war with Russia? I'm just saying, do we really know? We know what we're, you know, we know what's in the news, right? But can we trust that 100%? I'm I'm just saying, even if you got a 5% distrust, you still have to keep an eye open, right? So again, before we make too many judgments on this, let's do a little back history and find out who appointed who and what exactly is going on. You'll find that in many of the wars in the past, it has to do with money, oil, some other thing rather than someone wants to just nuke us. All I'm saying is, Paul's saying, I have an informed perspective now. I I know who the Messiah is. Look at verse 9. He said, indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punish them often in every synagogue and compel them to blaspheme. Now, I've done, I don't know how many times I've taught this, but when I saw that, it just struck me 
in a different way than it ever has. He compelled the Christians to blaspheme the name of God. You know what that means? He compelled them to deny Jesus. Or to swear. Or to do whatever else was necessary. Man, that's, that's heavy-duty stuff. It would be like someone today saying, I'm going to throw you in prison for the rest of your life unless you deny Jesus Christ. That's what he did. That's the kind of man that Paul was. In case you might think there's no hope for you, <laughs> that's the man Paul was. Not the man Paul is, but that's the man that Paul was. And he says, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests. But on the way, he says, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Now, some of you have been Christians a long time. You know what all that means, but maybe there's some here that don't know that. Blinded by a light, brighter than the sun. You guys here in Arizona, you know how that is in July and August, right? Extremely hot, extremely bright. It was brighter than that. Knocked him to the ground. And now, understand this. Paul is on a mission from God. That's what he thinks. That's how misinformed he is. He's on a mission for God, he thinks, to get rid of this new, the way, Christianity cult. He thinks he's doing God a favor, but yet when God interrupts his life and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What does he say? He says there in verse 15, so I said, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Now, I could be wrong here. Oh, by the way, he says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. I could be wrong here, but I think that there are a lot of people, a lot of folks today that are religious folks that would say the same thing. Who are you? Read just enough of the word of God to maybe pull out a few promises and then try to, try, try to tie God up and saying, you have to do this for me. You have to do this for me. I've said the prayer And I've said it a dozen times, you have to do this for me. Without looking at the other side of God that says, but you must do these things. Again, we kind of think it's a a multiple choice. Door number one, door number two, door number three. Whichever one we go through, it doesn't matter because God's just going to be on the other side. But as a good parent, sometimes you have to tell your children, This needs to change. This is not right. This is unacceptable. You don't do it because you don't love them. You do it because you do love them. So a lot of Christians, I think, today, or those who are religious, let's put it that way, they only know enough to confuse them, but not the full word of God and understand the character of God, who God really is, And when God says something to them they don't like, they go, who are you? (laughs) 
are you? Well, I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus. Look at verse 16. Then Jesus says to him, but rise and stand on your feet for I have appeared to you for this very purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both. Now we get the, the reason Paul's there. Now we get the reason why he's happy to be where he's at. To be a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. He describes his event, his encounter with God on the road to Damascus. I pray that every single one of us have had the Damascus road experience. That God has stopped us in our tracks and said, what are you doing? Isn't it hard for you to live life like this? Isn't it difficult to think only of yourself? Isn't it difficult to just be caught up in your past hurts? Isn't it difficult to be caught up in your past pain? Isn't it difficult to hold on to that grudge for the rest of your life? Isn't it difficult to be pursuing how you look? Isn't it difficult to pursue money? Because those are just up and down all the time. Unless you get old and then it's just... There's downhill. The older you get, the more you appreciate any given day, right? And you can roll out of bed and stand up. Now Paul's going to tell them that even standing before them, them judging him is part of God's plan. You see, we don't like that. (laughs) If if God's blessing us, the money's in the bank, the car's running, the kids are being semi-okay, We're like, yes, God, this is awesome. I love this life. But what happens when one of our kids gets sick? Oh, God, why would you allow that? What happens when the car breaks down? God, why would you allow I'm already late for work. I don't have enough money to fix this car. Why would you? We don't like the difficult things in life. Most people would have looked at what Paul was doing and he would have said, "This this is a difficult time for Paul. And it indeed is. But he doesn't see it that way. He sees it as a fantastic opportunity. Look at verse 17. He says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, here's what's really cool is that we've been called to do the same thing. Evil used to be hidden a little bit more. Evil used to be masqueraded a little better. But I believe that the enemy knows the time is short. I believe that he knows he's going to have to do what he does and he's going to have to do it pretty soon. So evil's kind of unmasked. Evil is out there. And, and again, you're free to completely disagree with me, but I would say this. This world is a battle between good and evil and it's never been more blatant or more plain than it is today. It's out in full force. And again, you have every right to disagree with me, but I'm pretty darn sure that that's a correct statement. Okay, so he says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. 
but I declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all of the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Now, you don't mention the Gentiles in any good light when you're around his brothers. Because the, uh, the typical Jew at this particular time hated the Gentiles. In fact, you guys know that many times they would refer to them as Gentile dog. That's how much faith they put in them. They felt that they were uppity and, and the other, the Gentiles, were down here. So anytime you mention something good for a Gentile, they got upset. For instance, to help you relate... Has someone really hurt you in the, in, the, in the past? How do you feel when somebody says something good about them? Okay, made my point. We don't like it. You want to burst out with, yeah, but you don't know. Well, when he mentions the, the Gentiles, they, they're not going to like that at all. 21. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand, witnessing both the small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. I'm just telling you what you've been studying all these years and missed. Verse 23, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now he's talking to people who think they're superior to him in every way. They're in charge. They have all the power. They think he has absolutely no power. But it's just the opposite. Many people would look at the cross and say, Jesus lost. He didn't lose. He won. Just not the way even his disciples thought it was going to be because they wanted him to overthrow the Roman government. And he did it by going to the cross and rising from the dead. And look at what again he told them in verse 18. He says, I've come to open their eyes to turn them from darkness to the light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith. That's Jesus saying, by, by sanctifying them by faith in me. Open, to open, this is the way Jesus came. This is the message for every Christian. This should burn in our heart. God gave his only son to give this message so that you and I could be saved. Many of us had rough lives. Many of us had a lot of things that were done to us and, and that we did. We had rough lives. We didn't have it easy. That's why Jesus came. He came to open their eyes, to set the captives free. Depending on how you were raised, you may have been raised as a captive. Now, I don't mean just, you know, somebody took you away from your parents and that kind of thing. I'm just talking about a captive to ideas, to thoughts, 
that your parents did and said and acted out that you didn't know any better. Superstitions. How many of you carried a lot of superstitions from your parents? Yeah, quite a few hands. Then all of a sudden, someday you, you come to a point and you go, that's not true, you know? I've walked under a ladder more than once, you know? I've broken mirrors before and I'm still alive. You know, sidewalk, I've stepped on those cracks and my mom can still walk. <laughs> and especially when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you realize those are fear tactics of the enemy to control you. But Jesus has come to set you free and to give us an inheritance with God. Now, they're uppity. You think they're going to take this from a man in chains? You're challenging our authority. You're challenging what we believe. You've got enlightenment and we don't. You understand more than we understand? You think you've got all the answers? We have the answers. We can kill you. We have the power, but they don't really have the power. Now, Festus, he's there too, right? And Festus, being a Roman, he's not buying any of this. He thinks Paul is crazy. By the way, I just happened to have a picture of Festus. You want to put... (laughs) Now, some of you younger guys are going, who is that? Who's Festus? He was on an old cowboy show called Gunsmoke. His name was Festus. All right, back to the scriptures. Verse 26, chapter 26, verse 24. He goes, now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice. Here's his response to what Paul just said. Paul, you're beside yourself. In other words, you're nuts. You're crazy, Paul. And he says, I'm not mad, most noble Festus. I bet he had to choke a little bit to get that out. But speak the words of truth and of reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner or in private. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. You might want to underline that word, almost. Do you know anybody that's almost become a Christian? Anybody that's almost given their life to Christ? Paul knows that Agrippa has studied He knows that Agrippa has entertained these things that he's talked about, but he's fallen short of making the commitment. Now, if you're here this morning and you're in an almost position, I pray that you make that final step because almost is not good enough. And the word almost here is pivotal. I want to quote something to you by J. Vernon McGee from his commentary on the book of Acts. He says this, friend, do you know that you can almost be a Christian and then be lost for time and eternity? 
how tragic that is. Almost will not do. It must be all or nothing. Either you accept Christ or you don't accept Christ. No theologian can probe the depths of salvation and its meaning, yet it is simple enough for ordinary folks like most of us to understand. Either you have Christ or you don't have Christ. Either you trust Christ or you don't trust Christ. Either he is your Savior or he is not your Savior. It is one of the two. There is no such thing as middle ground. It cannot be almost. It must be all. I have another video for you here. I still can't get over the fact that you were prepared to let them get away with five million dollars. Well, it wasn't much of a risk, Max. Here, look at this. This is one of the bills that they took from the vault. Thousand dollar bills, so what? It's bogus money, Max. Are you sure, Chief? I'm positive. Oh, that's funny. Feels real. Looks real. Chief got a picture of President Goldwater, huh? <laughs> Goldwater lost the election by 17 million votes. Oh, yes, I remember now. Missed it by that much. <laughs> Unfortunately, people every Sunday miss it by that much. You see, it's not enough to pick a few things out of here and say, I believe what the Bible says. How about the hard stuff? How about all of it? You go, well, I've never read a book that thick in my life. I would encourage you to read this one. Start with the book of John, work your way through, double back, come back around, read it again. You could be reading this the rest of your life. And as you do, you'll pick out more and deeper things as you read the word of God. Don't miss it by that much. Don't get almost there and be afraid to give it all. I know what that's like because I did that. As many of us did before we gave our heart to Jesus Christ. We would sit in a church, somebody invited us, or we went, or we made to go, and we went, and we would hear certain things, and we'd go, well, I believe that, and I believe that. And then when the challenge came at the end, they would say, no. If I accept Jesus, I'm going to have to quit. Fill in the blank. If I accept Jesus Christ, I'm going to have to do this or I'm going to have to do that or I'm going to have to give up this or give up that. I can promise you, you will gain more than you will ever give up because that's what God does. Back to Acts 26, verse 29, and Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all that are hearing me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am except for these chains. I wouldn't want you to be in these chains, but almost is okay as long as it's followed by altogether. Almost may be the first step, but it's got to be followed with altogether. To completely be in 100%. You don't have to have this all memorized. All you've got to know is that God is good and God loves you and God has a plan for you and that plan is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is the key that unlocks eternity. The rest he'll fill you in on. 
That'll come because he'll give you a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. He'll give you a hunger and thirst for his word. That was the desire of Paul's heart. That's why he was there. That's why he kept saying, I want to see Agrippa. I want to see Agrippa. I want to go to Rome. I want to go to Rome. Because he knew that God had told him he needed to preach in Rome. So he sees this as an opportunity to share Jesus Christ. How many of us would be able to do that, guys? That, that has to be a gift from God, right? That has to be God giving you that kind of ability to be able to do this. And as we pointed out, Pastor Dan and myself, Paul was not, you, you look at, I mean, you, you read about him and you think he's like this fullback kind of guy. He wasn't. He was a little spindly dude. He was, he was small in, in nature. And not much hair and his nose turned down at the end. You know, there was like a little hook on the end of his, his nose. You look at him and you go, this guy's nothing. But he was so powerful in God because he believed in God. Look at verse 30. And when he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone inside, they talked among themselves saying, this man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul, you blew it. Now, guys, I know you've done these gymnastics in your head before. If I would have just done this, it would have worked out. If I hadn't, if I just hadn't said this, things could have been so different. Wouldn't you think, Paul, at this point in time, if he was most of us, he would be going, man, if I just hadn't said that about the... Gentiles. Especially if he had overheard this, he would go, man, that's the only, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to die now just because of that one thing. I missed it by that much. And no, he didn't. He was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. He must testify in Rome. I got this story. 50 men were chasing a preacher named Frederick Nolan through a hilly area in North Africa for preaching the name of Jesus and preaching the message of repentance. He was trapped in a canyon. He saw the mouth of a cave and he heard inside. Laying at the back of the shallow cave, he was exhausted and he knew that within minutes these guys that wanted him dead would come and discover him. But as he lay there, a spider appeared and began to quickly weave a web over the cave's mouth. 20 minutes later, when Nolan's intended killers arrived, five guys stopped at the opening of the cave, saw the web, and said, no, he's not in here. Later in his journal, Frederick wrote, where God is, a spider web becomes a wall. But where God isn't, a wall is like a spider web. Interesting, huh? That's the thing, guys. If I, if I could, I wish I was more eloquent at being able to say it. But here's the thing. With Jesus, all things are possible. Amen. Without him, it's just depression. Without him, it's just always wondering why. 
Without him, it's always wondering, why me? Why is this happening to me? If I would have been in that cave, and if five guys wanted to kill me, would I have been able to see God's provision of what was going on? Would I have been able to trust that? I don't know. I'd like to think that I would, or at least that I can get there. But I do know that God works miracles and he does things. If you look at your life and you go, why is my life the way it is? Maybe it's because you haven't. Maybe you're missing it that much. How come everything in my life always seems to turn out wrong? Maybe it's because you're just not getting your instructions from the one that wired you and put you together. Maybe you're actually running from God and to, instead of to God. Running away from him. Paul is not afraid of what appears to be a wall. He sees it as an opportunity. 